0: From the moment Jesus stepped into Jerusalem, to his arduous journey to be crucified, and into his glorious resurrection, come and listen in as Dr. Andy Brown shares the truly awesome significance of the holiest of weeks. This is Hearing is Believing. I invite you to take your Bible and please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 13, tonight. In John 13, we're going to see the beginning of the farewell discourse, which is one of my most favorite, and perhaps it is indeed one of the most treasured sections in all of Scripture. John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Those massive amount of script that's there in those chapters all leading, all telling Jesus' farewell discourse. And so as you're turning over there, and as we're getting there, I just want to simply ask you a question. And here it is for you to ponder. If Jesus simply just dies on a cross and is raised, is there any effect for salvation? Now before you answer, think about it just for a moment. If there were no understanding of the reason for his dying, the reason for his rising, then we could interpret it on our own accord. We could say that maybe our understanding of the cross and all of its events, we could say that, well, this is just him being defiant to those who tried to kill him. Maybe he's saying, I'll show you Or we could look at it and say, How awesome that Jesus dies and rises again. That's wonderful. Praise the Lord. But what on earth does that have to do with me? And how we respond to the events of the cross matter. How we respond to the events of the cross matter. And this is exactly why Jesus teaches us all through the gospel and especially as we get to this time as the cross is coming closer as the shadow of the cross is looming down upon us even more and more. He continually teaches us to show us the events that are going to take place and how to interpret the events of the cross. And so thankfully as we are here tonight and most of you, I assume, brought your Bible tonight and you, you looked at it and you turned to John chapter 13. We, are, we don't have to speculate about the actions of the cross and the resurrection. We don't have to wonder about what His death and His resurrection has enacted for us. And the reason why we're left without any wondering is because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, seen through His ministry of inspiration, giving us something we call the Holy Scriptures. The way we know that is because of what Hebrews says. Listen to what Hebrews says. long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So long ago, in many portions, God spoke to us through the prophets, that is the Old Testament. But then the author of Hebrews says, in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. And what we have in the New Testament is the message of the apostles. What we have in the New Testament is the message of Jesus according to the apostles. And so in our text tonight, it's exciting. It's a magnificent passage. In our text tonight, we, we get to see Jesus acting in sheer humility and devotion. As what He does is continually He's going to show us the intention for His coming. And the intention of His coming, remember, is to display the love of God to the world. And how will He display the love of God to the world? By sacrificing Himself. Join with me, if you will, in John chapter 13, in the first 17 verses tonight. And before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. If you do them would you pray with me father tonight we are dependent upon the ministry of the Holy Spirit to teach us God we want to learn from you we want to hear from you tonight and humbly as we come to your word we ask you to feed us in Jesus name Amen so what do we know from this act of love about the kind of death that Jesus will display on the cross. That's exactly what this is. This is a foreshadowing. This is almost an enacted parable of Jesus enacting what he is going to do on the cross. And so what do we need to know about the kind of death Jesus will display on the cross? Three things that I want to teach you tonight from this text. The first is this, is that the cross will be the ultimate display of love. And the reason that I put it in terms like that is will be because I'm being mindful of where we are in the text. Now, you could take that will be out and you could say is, and that's fine. But for our purposes tonight, remembering where we are, it's Monday, Thursday. We're looking forward to what will happen on Good Friday. We're Looking forward to what will happen on Holy Saturday. And then, of course, Resurrection Sunday. So at this point, just so we can maintain the narrative, we understand that the cross will be because this is a teaching of the cross, will be the ultimate display of love. And as we are introduced to this text, we're introduced as it the words of the text says that Jesus is, has knowledge that his hour has come. Do you see that there in verse 1? Now, if we had time tonight, I would teach you, and I would show you how important time is in the Gospel of John, just to, for your reference, just so that you can look very closely a, a, a verse that you should mark in your Bible, especially in the Gospel of John, is verse thirty of chapter thirteen after Judas leaves. John makes a mark of time and he says, and it was night. The first time the transition to night occurs in the Gospel of John, showing that the events of the Passion are fiction to take place. So John's very savvy as far as being mindful about the cross. He's being mindful about the hour. And so here we have Jesus saying that his hour had come to depart out of this world. And so as we enter the beginning of the farewell discourse, time remains entirely Important. Now, I want you to notice a phrase here in the Bible, a phrase that's repeated. It says this in verse 1 as well as in verse 3. It says this. It says, the time to depart out of this world to the Father. And then in verse 3, it says that he was going back to God. The way back to God for Jesus, the way back to the Father for Jesus is, remember this, never forget this, the way back to God, the way back to Jesus is through the cross. And as verse 1 tells us, his mission was love and he fulfilled it entirely. Look at this, what it says. I love the way verse 1 says that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Another way to translate that Greek word there, having loved his own, is showing his love to his own who were in the world. And so this way, this act of Jesus taking his outer garments off and assuming this humble position of a servant. This was Jesus showing his love to his disciples. And so never never forget this. It was out of love that he came. It was out of love that he lived. And it was out of love that he was sent to the cross. And as our Lord tells his disciples, remember 13 through 17 is this one corpus, this one body of one big speech from Jesus during the farewell discourse. And in chapter 15, just a couple of chapters over in verses 13 through 14, Jesus says this, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. And then he looks at them and then he says, you are my friend if you do what I command you. How magnificent is that? And if we had time, we could just camp out there all night in John 15 in those verses where he says, You are my friends. Think just for a moment with me. Just for a moment. The Lord God, our Creator, He commands us to love Him. But He doesn't just command us to love Him. He's pretty specific in the way that He tells us to love Him. He tells us to love Him in a certain way. With everything that we are. All of our mind. All of our soul. All of our strength. All of our heart. There's not much left after that, is there? Everything that we are. But understand this. That love that we have for Him. Is always a response. To His love for us. Let me tell you what I mean. First John chapter 4 says this. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world. So that we might live through Him. Listen to this next phrase. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. But that He loved us. And sent his love to be the propitiation that is the satisfaction for our sins. Do you hear that? This is love. Not that we love God. But that he loved us. And he displays that love for us through his self-giving of himself. Which is exactly what he does here. Look at the text. His actions are grounded in love, and He grounds His actions in the cross. Look at what it says in verse 7. He says, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but afterward, you will understand. Afterward, what is He talking about? Is He talking about afterwards when He gets up from washing the feet? Is that when they'll understand? Is it after they go to the garden and pray? Is it what's the afterwards? Well, remember... Remember the the timeline of the text. Knowing that His time had come. What's the after? The after is when His time is finally here and He's crucified on the cross. After they see the Son of God hanging with arms outstretched on a tree when He who knew no sin became sin so that they could have the righteousness and become the righteousness of God. That's when they'll understand. After the resurrection, after the Holy Spirit is poured out upon us. So Jesus, in love, look at what he does. He, He interrupts supper. He interrupts that meal and he adorns himself with a towel. And He puts His hand on the feet of all of those feet that will soon be described as Paul as those beautiful feet who spread the gospel message throughout all the world. But He even puts His hands upon one's feet who will soon run out to betray Him. We learn from this act, number two, that the cross will be the ultimate display of humility. Look at what happens here. So Jesus interrupts supper. He goes and he adorns his body with a towel. And he goes and he's kneeling down to wash the disciples' feet. In verse 5, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with a towel and that was wrapped around him. And he came to Peter, who said to him, Lord? Lord? You wash my feet. It's almost one of those John the Baptist moments. Remember back earlier when Jesus was baptized in the gospel of John by John the Baptist. He says, there's one who's coming whose sandals I am not even worthy to tie. Peter gets this. Peter understands. Peter is one who's standing there and he is saying, Lord, you're going to wash my feet. And he absolutely protests. And it's only fitting that he does. It's only fitting that Peter would protest because Peter is the outspoken one of the group. Peter's the one who's always the loudmouth. Peter's the one who's always standing there because the rest of the group, they all know what's going on here and what's going on. As some of you came here tonight, I've been warning you all week that we're going to be having a foot washing service, and some of you I know are nervous about it. Just imagine what it would have been back then. It was customary for individuals to have their feet washed before they came to a meal it was customary for them to have their feet washed because remember the times you wore sandals you walked everywhere that you went and this is the desert the, this is the this is Israel where there's a lot of dust there's a lot of rocks to nick your feet on this nasty feet are disgusting Peter knows what's going on here you see the Jews back in this day or the ones who washed the feet, they were lower than the slaves. This is how foot washing was observed. The Jews would not even allow their own slaves to be the foot washers. They would get other slaves from other nations to wash feet. But remember what was going on. This is the one, the Lord who raises the dead, who walks upon the sea, who Let's the blind man have sight. This is the Lord God, the, the King of the ages, the King of kings, the Master of, and Lord. He adorns Himself with a towel and He stoops to wash feet. And look at the point that He does it. Look at that. And I love the way John writes. He says in John chapter 13 and verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, And what does he do? He adorns himself with a towel and takes the form of a servant. And here we have exemplified an example Though not the ultimate example. The ultimate example will be the cross. Which is what this is a foreshadowing of. But here we have Philippians chapter 2. Coming into our minds and displaying itself. Where it says in Philippians 2. Let each of you look not only to his own interest. But also to the interest of others. He says have this mind among yourselves. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who though he was in the form of God. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even the most adversive, horrific death, the death on the cross. And as I was studying this, I love what F.F. F. Bruce says F.F. F. Bruce, a commentator, he says, The form of God, listen closely, The form of God was not exchanged for the form of a servant. It was revealed in the form of a servant. Let me read that again. The form of God was not exchanged for the form of a servant. It was revealed in the form of a servant. In the washing of their feet, the disciples, though they didn't understand it at the time, They saw a rare unfolding of the authority and glory of the incarnate world. And a rare declaration of the character of the Father himself. And see, Jesus, he does this purposefully. Look at what he says. He says, if I then, in verse 14, the Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also are to wash one another's feet. I give this to you as an example that you should do just as I have done for you. He does this purposely to show the type of ministry that he expects from all of us who decide that we're going to follow him. Our ministry is a sacrificial ministry. Our ministry is a ministry that says that if need be, we will do exactly what our Lord did and we will give our life so that others may live. That's what it means to be a believer. It's not some super-Christian thing, some martyr, the 21 Egyptians who we just heard about who had their heads removed. They're not super-Christians. They're Christians, period. It's just what we're called to do. Be willing to give our life so that others may receive the truth and know the truth and be set free to live our life in an expression of Romans 15 Where it says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. You see this, 1 John continues to say this in 1 John 4. After 9 and 10 it says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. This is... The mandate to follow Christ is to love one another. So Jesus looks at his disciples in verse 14 and he says what he says. If I've done this as your Lord. You notice the way he puts it as your Lord and your teacher. Lord is above teacher. He said you ought to do the same thing. In other words, what does this mean? It means if the king of glory can wash the feet of a disciple. Even the one who's going to go and betray him later. How much more do you and I think that we can do? But in our life, do we really realize the cross? Do we really reflect upon the cross? Do we live the cross through serving those whom we're supposed to love the most? Jesus didn't go out and wash everyone's feet. He washed the disciples' feet. Jesus tells them a little later, He says, The world's going to know that you're mine by the way that you love one another. Do we really realize the cross? Do we really realize the sacrifice, the self-sacrifice of the Son? Do we really realize that? Do we show that in the way that we love one another as a church? And You know, I'm, I'm really convinced that the reason why we are not witnessing to the world is because we are not even witnessing to the church. And here's what I mean. Think about this. When is the last time that someone approached you in church and asked you, brother, sister, how's your prayer life? Are you reading the Scriptures and drawing close to God? Are you loving Him with all of your heart? Is your heart far from Him? Are you dabbling in sin? Are you grieved over sin? We're not loving the world because we don't even know how to love one another. Oh, yeah, we're going to go through and have this little thing where we're going to take some water and flip it overneath someone's feet and But there has to be something so much more than just simply symbolism. It has to be some deep-felt, hearted love for one another that flows from the source of Calvary's hill and it covers our church. It covers us because we know that in order for us to love one another, we first must bow at Christ's feet and love Him with all of our hearts. And when you love Him, you know that He loves His glory and you know that He loves His glory to be made known in your life, in your neighbor's life, in your church neighbor's Life. How can we expect to serve the world in love if we're not even serving one another in love? Is it above you? Is any act of love, is any act of affection, of kindness above you? To wash a foot? (laughs) To serve your neighbor? To sacrifice yourself for their good. Is it above you? It wasn't above our Lord. Learn from the cross. See the Savior. Before the cross. What does he do here? Displaying what will be realized. When he is between two thieves. That he humbled himself. To reveal himself. To us. But there's a third lesson as we go through the text. A third lesson that we must learn from this. And we learn it right from Peter's protest. And that is the lesson that we have to learn is this. The cross cleanses us from sin once and for all. Look at what happens here. Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. Forget it. Peter, like most men does not realize or does not understand that salvation comes through the suffering of the Savior. That's how we get salvation, through one who suffered. As a man by the name of Rudolf Bultmann says, Peter's stance reflects the basic way men think. The refusal to see the act of salvation in what is lowly or God in the form of a slave. This, as Paul says, to the Corinthians, this is the foolishness of the cross, the foolishness of the message of the cross, that our salvation comes to us all on behalf of the work of another. Look at what happens, Peter protests, and then Jesus rebukes. And then Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no share with me. And then Peter, he's a man of extremes, and he responds appropriately with a desire to be washed from head to toe. Look at what he says. He says, Lord, if that's the case, Lord, then get the bucket, pour it over me, wash every part of me, my feet, my hands, my head. He says, wash me clean, if that's what it means to have my share with you, to be with you, if that's what it means. But look at what Jesus says in verse 10. Verse 10. And as I'm reading it, I want you to notice two different words. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash. Bathed and wash. What does Jesus say? What does he say? He's anticipating his death at this point. We've already said that. He knew that his hour has come. He's anticipating the cross. He's warned the disciples time and time again. The son must suffer. He's anticipating his death. He's anticipating the passion. He's anticipating the suffering for sin. And so, in that moment, he teaches us a profound truth. And this is the truth. Once a man or a woman has become the beneficiary of Christ's atoning work on the cross, he cannot receive them over again. Once For all, paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. The cleansing that comes from Calvary's fountain is once and for all. It is complete and it doesn't need any other thing to supplement it. Not Bible study, not prayer. Nothing needs to supplement because it is a done deal. Everything else that we do, the Bible study, the prayer, the tithe, all the other things is a response to the salvation that we already have. But you say, well, wait a minute. What about this exception where the Bible says, except for his feet? What about that? Well, here's what I think that that means. Just as the head may be clean from a bath, but the feet dirty, so you and I, too, who have been cleansed by Christ... As Romans chapter 7 says, we still carry around this body of death. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And as long as we live in this mortal body, as long as we live in this body, we will continue to struggle with sin. And so we who travel this world, as we walk through this world in all of our paths, we walk down this road, this world that has been wrecked with sin, and we occasionally, often, those who have been bathed needs to come for a washing. Because of us, because Of the world that is wrecked with sin, we need to come to our God who has cleansed us to have that salvation realized and lived out in every aspect of your life. This is the reason that we talk about confession, the reason we talk about repentance is because we're clean but there's still maybe some of you out here, all of us out here, that we still have that body of death that we still carry around with us. Maybe yours is lust. Maybe yours is fear. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Whatever it is, we need to come to the fountain and remember that we have already been cleansed. Remember that we have already been given this salvation. Now we just simply need him to knock off those edges. As we have our bodies and ourselves conformed to the image of His Son. And John says it best in his epistle again in 1 John chapter 1. Listen to what he says. This is the message that we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you. Listen, that God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. Then he says... If we say that we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, and by the way, what do you walk with? Your feet, all right? You see the parallel. While we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And then here's what John says. If you say, then, if we say together that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we then say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his truth, his word, is not in us. So after Jesus anticipating the cross, after Jesus goes and washes the disciples' feet and teaches them that his salvation at the cross is a one-for-all transaction, he still prays in John 17, the Lord's Prayer, the high priestly prayer. And in that prayer, he says, sanctify them in truth. Jesus prayed for our sanctification. He prayed that we would be continually set apart by truth. And then he says, Thy word is truth. Psalm 119 says it this way. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. And listen to what he says. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Why don't we love the world? Why don't we love one another? I think the reason that we don't is because we forget the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for our sakes he became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. It's my prayer tonight that all of us in here would remember the cross, would live the cross, would be willing to love one another, would be willing to forgive one another, because we have our eyes completely set on this God who loves us and was even willing to sacrifice himself for us. Father in heaven, we love you. We absolutely praise you. Thank you for what you displayed, your love on display for us. You're so kind and gracious. And Father, we pray now at this moment you would have your way in our service. Soften our hearts. Turn our hearts towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Dr. Andy Brown, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Startville in Startville, Mississippi. If you would like to learn more about how we're taking the gospel from Startville to the ends of the earth, visit www.fbcstartville.com.